It's Uncovered, and uh, welcome to Wednesday. I'm Anthony Davis, and slightly different introduction today because I've just been evacuated from my studio because of the gas leak, so I'm in a temporary accommodation. Ron, I hope that that won't cause you too much stress or alarm. Um, I'm a professional, Anthony. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> well, I'm very grateful to the, to the gas people for uh, telling me to I did actually get a headache. I was, they were saying, no, it's fine. You can stay home. And I start to get this headache and feel a bit dizzy. I think, I think I'm going to leave. So that's what happened. Um, we have a lot to talk about today on Uncovered, obviously. we've. Uh, I, I'd say we probably had like two weeks of news in 24 hours. Would you say that's about right? <laughs> Uh, I didn't, I was like multiple computers, multiple phones going yesterday, nonstop till about yeah. 1130. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Well, let's, let's first talk about Donald Trump's appeal against, uh, you know, his claim of ultimate immunity, right? Where all presidents should have immunity for everything at all times so they can commit any crimes and nobody can touch them was basically his argument. Uh, the appeals court, they were like, nah, that's not happening. That's basically what happened, right? Yeah, you know, it was a really well-written opinion. And I think yeah. George Conway commented on this as well. It, mm. it was written with an eye towards history, that they were making history, that they were writing a, a groundbreaking opinion. And I think they were writing it with an eye to the fact that the Supreme Court very well might not take this case. And this might be the law of the land going forward. And, uh, and, and it was a incredibly well-written. It was a unanimous opinion. And uh, yeah, I mean, just the idea that Trump could take the position and his lawyers could take the position that any president at any time could commit any crime whatsoever and have total immunity for that after leaving office, it's just, a, it's just an outrageous position to take. I, I think they just way overstepped the mark. But he genuinely thought he was in with a chance, didn't he? That's what's so weird about this. You know, when I was writing about it and covering it, I just put that his, his claim of absolute immunity was just ridiculous. It's like anybody who lives in reality is like, that is just ridiculous. So did he really think that, you know, there was a good chance they were going to go, you know something, you're right, presidents should be able to do what they like. I mean, it was a, it was a typical Trump production where, he, he overreached and and if he if he had been smart and and I think his, his lawyers are smart but they're they're only allowed to argue what he lets them argue and yeah. if he was smart they would have really focused on saying no presidents don't have blanket immunity they can be prosecuted under certain circumstances but these are the circ you know but but these are the circumstances and and kind of tried to make it very fact specific on his case and try and argue that when he was challenging the election results, that was part of the official duties of a president. But instead of making that sort of argument um, and, and arguing why challenging an election is part and parcel of the duties of a president, they instead just argued for this wide open blanket immunity. No president can ever be prosecuted. And I think that the judges really illustrated the absurdity of that position by saying you know, what if you sent SEAL Team 6 to assassinate your political opponent? Could you be prosecuted? And and they basically answered no. So so I think that they just blew it by by just overshooting the mark. And and look, they're gonna have to get they're gonna have to get four justices to agree to take this case. I think it's five justices to for there to be a stay. 
The judge, the judges on the DC Circuit Court of Appeals set a very quick deadline, which is, I believe, Monday. Yeah, they have until the 12th to um to file their writ of certiorari with the Supreme Court. And I, I'm very doubtful. I'm, I'm very skeptical that the Supreme Court is going to take this. I think Trump and the people on the right just assume that that's going to happen. But I don't assume that at all. I did assume it was going to happen, but I've now changed my position based on how well this has been written. And the fact that yeah. it is arguably now a historic document or an historic document that I think that anybody in the Supreme Court, no matter what their stripes, are going to have a real hard time arguing with the way that this has been presented. I presume that was the idea, right? They they did it, they wrote it like this because they just knew that if it was if it was what we call in England belt and braces written, right? It, you know, I's dotted, T's crossed, that of course the Supreme Court can't even consider it. And they were that I think that people were frustrated that it took as long as they did to issue the opinion. Uh, I think most people probably expected it a week sooner. And we saw Judge shut good, and then she was supposed to pull the case off the trial docket. And then, you know, a few days later, the opinion comes out. And I and I think that the, the, the extra week, the delay, was to make sure that they had this lockdown, that they covered every possible argument. And, you know, the Supreme Court judges, justices who will look at this, who will have to decide whether to take it, might go, you know what? Um, we can't touch this. This is this is so well done. It's so well reasoned um, and so well written that it's quite clear to everyone going forward. We don't really need to weigh in here. And uh, and I think that that's the way they wrote it. And and I'm at least 50 50 that they will not take this if they do take it. You know, if they don't take it, we're looking at probably a May trial date. If they do take it, you know, then we're going to get pushed back into probably July or August. And that could be a reason just to consider it, right? To, to to cause a delay, to help Donald Trump push it into the long grass so that, you know, he can win the election and pardon himself. I mean, we couldn't put it, we shouldn't put it past three of the justices, at least, who are Trump appointees, who are very likely, I mean, I don't doubt that he's on the phone to them now. <laughs> yeah, well, he can't do that. I mean, they, they're not allowed to talk to anybody. Uh, but uh, He'll still ring them, though. They might not answer, but he'll still, yeah. he'll still call. You no, he'll still call, day. right. They're, yeah, they're not allowed to talk to him. But, but yeah, he might try some back channels through Ginny Thomas yeah. or something. But, right. uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I don't um, – I, I, you know, I think that also you look at the Bush v. Gore case, you know, and in that situation, the Supreme Court was very sensitive to the time frame that it had to be decided very quickly because of the the time frame of the election calendar and, and the swearing in and the inauguration and all that. And I think we have the same thing here. I, I think that they're conscious of the election calendar. I think that they want to get this done in, in, in an expedited way so that this can get back on the trial docket. So I think if they do take it, they will speed it up. But, you know, for the Supreme Court, fast is a month is fast. You know? Yeah. Uh, a few people on the right had something to say about the decision from the appeals court, right? Stephen Miller, most interestingly, he, of course, a former Trump uh, advisor, speechwriter, confidant. Let's take a look at him literally smelting down over this reaction. Here it is. What if I find a judge and I find a prosecutor says he opened the border to help him win re-election, yep. to get more illegal aliens to vote, and he fought election integrity at DHS and DOJ as part of his conspiracy? 
So that's a RICO violation, it's a civil rights violation, and it's sedition. That's several hundred years in prison for those violations. And I have a judge and a prosecutor who also say, you go to jail, Mayorkas goes to jail, everyone in your administration goes to jail, and your immunity is a worthless piece of something. Um, I like the way you cut it there, very clever. Uh, I mean, what did they expect, you know, the, the, the people in Trump's orbit? I mean, did they think that he had this sewn up? Um. That's that's a good question. I, I think that they thought they had a, a better chance than how the opinion came out, which is just right. a blanket. No, they didn't even compromise with him or or put some sort of framework out there that he might make make an immunity case at the trial court level. They just said flatly. I think they weren't expecting such a beatdown. You know. By the way, I see I, f I froze a little bit, but by the way, um, who tweeted that? I I tweeted that Stephen Miller clip. Elon Musk uh, tweeted that earlier today, my tweet, uh, the first time that Musk has retweeted one of my tweets. He retweeted that one with a warning, and his warning was the same as he echoed Stephen Miller's sentiments there, which is Biden better be careful what he wishes for. I mean, that's basically what Miller is threatening there is that, yeah. you know, when we get into office, we're going to prosecute you is what he was saying. Um, and that's basically what Musk said. Musk took that clip of mine and and said, hey, you live by the sword. What he's what he did is he said, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So so these are, you know, the right wing fascists warning, you know, the people in the Biden administration that that they could be next. What a lovely bunch of people. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Alejandro Mayorkas, of course, who's head of Homeland Security, who famously they're trying to impeach him over the last week, and they've finally had the vote last night, and he's got saved by one by one vote, effectively. Um, not very happy about it. And uh, let's, uh, I'll just show the clip where Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, announces the, the final tally, and uh, just listen to the reaction from the crowd. The resolution is not adopted. trying to keep order. I was surprised that the vote was so tight. What's your theory on that? Well, no, I, I wasn't because, I mean, you have to understand that any Republican who voted against that, you know, what happens? What happens is death threats. You know, right. your children are being threatened. Your family's being threatened. You're obviously going to get a primary challenge. Trump is going to attack you. Green, all you know, everybody, they're all being attacked. Their faces are all over Fox News. The four Republicans who voted against this have been all over right wing social media. So there's a target on them. So, yeah. So, yes, I, I think that if if Republicans could vote by secret ballot on these things, there would be a lot more no votes because i think they a lot of them didn't want this but but the fact that it's public they're just afraid they're they're afraid to go against you know the 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 rank and file maga people because of the kind of backlash and venom that you get i mean look what happened to the what was it nine or ten republicans who voted to impeach uh trump back in 20 they were all they're all gone i mean they're i think only one survived they're all vote they were all voted out and or retired so so that's what these guys know that you know if they go against the herd here on this 
there's going to be a lot of backlash and, and hell to pay for them. So, so no, um, but you know, the funny part was of course, you know, not funny, but the Democrats having to, you know, they baited, they baited them into thinking that they had enough votes because Al Green was in the hospital getting right. surgery and the vote that they had before that they, they intentionally had green not vote before that to sort of, uh, lull them into thinking that he wasn't going to show up. So they thought they had the votes to move forward. And then Al Green gets wheeled in in a wheelchair, you know, in hospital scrubs to cast the deciding vote to save Mayorkas. They were putting pressure on some of the Republicans, those initial four holdouts. I think Marjorie Taylor Green was like surrounding these people. And and yes. I mean there was some there was some real intimidation going on in the House chamber, similar to what we saw before when Kevin McCarthy was trying to get enough votes. We hear this from reporters all the time that cover Capitol Hill, you know, the ones that are really plugged in, like Jake Sherman, Manu Raju, these kind of people that are in the hallway, Kyle Cheney. Um, is what we hear is screaming fests. You know, they they yeah. can't go into these meetings with the Senate or the house when they're having their internal conferences. But what we always hear from these reporters is that they can hear them screaming and yelling at each other from outside the hallway. And yes, that that's the way it is. Now the Republican politics under the, under the MAGA regime is threats, intimidation, get in your face, scream and yell. Um, I, I think this is, this is eventually going to stop because the there's the handful of people who go against them are all going to be gone. You know, and pretty soon there's not going to be anybody left that's going to stand up to these people. Um, the other the other funny thing is, you know, Gates is getting some backlash here because, you know, he's the one who ousted McCarthy. And if they had McCarthy's vote or Santos's vote, you know, this would have passed. But those two, you know, Santos is crowing last night. He was posting, you miss me now and and, you know, all of that. So. Yeah, it's just sort of funny. These are like they're the gang that can't shoot straight. They're they're just a mess. And it's important to point that out for people who don't understand the difference between Republicans and Democrats in terms of organizing. The Republicans are very good at you know organizing that kind of public face in terms of the you know like rallies and merchandise. But the Democrats are actually their house is very much in order. Right. So yeah. you know they are they are very much lined up in terms of their position and their views and consequently their votes and it is and and if you wanted to think you know well who would be better at governing it's very clear to see that the democrats are actually a, a very together group compared to the chaos that we see out of the republicans the democrats have more diverse views and opinions on on these issues they're yeah. they're very it's a very wide diverse spectrum of of thought much more so than the Republicans, which is quite narrow, and they they just have a few minor defectors. But the Democrats, what they do is they they compromise, they work with each other, they cooperate with each other, and 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 they subordinate sometimes their own positions on certain issues and compromise, you know, to get half of what they want, and and that's just part of being. A member of a legislative body where you where the majorities are razor thin, that you just have to understand that you have to be a team player. It's the only way to get anything done. You can't be ideological, hardcore down the line and govern that way. The Democrats understand that, and the Republicans just simply don't. 
So the the big kind of hat trick of events that have, has gone on, Mayorkas doesn't get impeached. Trump is not immune from prosecution for trying to overturn the election. And the third one is the border deal, right? The 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 the, the effective the collapse of, of this of this um, bill over over the border and funding it was tied with funding Israel and Ukraine. Just, just explain what's happened to that because we know about Donald Trump putting pressure on people. He didn't want it to see the light of day because he wanted Democrats to look bad and he wanted to then be able to come in and fix it after the election. Tell us what's happened to that. Well, you have to go back a month. A month ago is when, you know, the Israel, the Gaza-Israel conflict happened over a month ago. And there was a scramble to get an aid package to them. And Ukraine aid was also running out. We needed to re-up that. So the idea back then was to pass the aid package. And Republicans said, no, 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 we're not going to do that until unless you attach a border package to it, right? So... This was at the request of MAGA. This is the excuse that they gave. Now, in hindsight, we see it was all nonsense. It was just an excuse. So what happens? The House isn't, isn't interested in any way in coming up with any kind of border bill. So Mitch McConnell appoints James Lankford, who is a conservative, Republican, harsh Biden critic on the border, as their point man for the Senate Republicans to negotiate with Chuck Schumer a border bill and they bring in some other people and they and they go through all of the pain and agony both sides weren't happy both sides didn't get everything they wanted but they got a deal done that was going to help that the border patrol union endorsed um but what happens of course as we all know Donald Trump got involved you know, made the phone call to Mike Johnson, said absolutely not because they don't want to lose the issue. But but even then it was like, okay, well, we'll still it will still move forward. This was as of yesterday morning. We're still gonna move forward. We'll pass it in the Senate and then we'll dump it into the House and we'll show expose them for the frauds that they are. But right before that is gonna happen, Mitch McConnell pulls the rug out from under Langford and says, No, no. We're not going to do this. The politics have changed. The mood, the political mood has changed, was Mitch's words, which meant that, you know, Donald Trump was threatening the senators, making a bunch of phone calls, and they basically gave Mitch an earful. And we, again, we heard from reporters that they had a knockdown, drag out screaming session in their little conference where they're all yelling at each other. And Mitch comes out and says, okay, we're not going to vote for this. And, and the end result was James Lankford, the vote today did, did not pass. James Lankford got up and gave a very impassioned speech today about basically where he told the truth about what happened behind closed doors and said this was all a setup. He was set up. He was hung out to dry. And, uh, and Mitch, Mitch stabbed him in the back because of Donald Trump. It, it, what drives me crazy, Ron, is that Donald Trump still has so much power despite not being a, an elected leader, you know, I mean, he's obviously the default leader of the Republicans. And that's kind of weird, isn't it? It's not like it is in England, where the leader of the party will become the prime minister by default. Um, and the party elects the leader. It, it's it's different. Uh, the system is different. And it just, it just makes me a little crazy that Donald Trump, for all of his criminality and all of his court appearances, is still really 
has a really firm grip on what's going on in Congress and the Senate just by nature of compromise and, and by you know, blackmail and all of the, all those other terrible tools that he uses. The reason why he has that power is because of the way the primaries played out in 2022 in the midterms. Yeah. Because still at that time, there was a decent number of Republicans that were willing to fight him and go against him and defy him. And he primaried them. He endorsed candidates to run against these people. And almost every, you know, what, what he has shown, what he demonstrated in that mid, because a lot of those people said, go ahead, primary, I don't care. I'm popular in my district. Uh, you know, I've been reelected X number of times. I'm not worried about it. And then they found out how much hold Donald Trump has over their voters. And although Trump's endorsement doesn't really carry much weight in a general election, it carries a lot of weight in Republican primaries. And so uh, only a couple hung on, like Nancy Mace. But what did the, what did the couple hung on who went against him? They immediately learned their lesson and yeah. caved and said, I don't want to go through that again. So the reason why he has this power now over these people is because he he exercised that power in 2022 and showed them that he can take them out in a primary. It's it's, it's very sad indictment of kind of where we're at, really, that the dirty tricks is, is really the tools in his armory. And he doesn't understand doing anything legitimately. I think I made a video about this. Like, we've been trying to put Donald Trump into a box of, of normality. And we're like, he does this, he does that, he does this crazy stuff. It's like, he's not in any normal box. He's in a box all of his own. So he's grown up behaving in this in this way. He doesn't know any different. To him, it is normal. It's just for those of us that live in reality, his behavior comes over as being something that we that shocks us. But it's not shocking to him. It's normal to him. The way that, you know, legislative, the way Congress has always worked in the history of this country is that party leaders and the leaders of the House and the Senate understand that individual members sometimes have to stray off the reservation because of the di the particular district that they represent. Maybe it's a uh, ethanol, you know, some somebody representing Iowa has got to vote for ethanol, even though, you know, philosophically, let's say their party is against it. Or, you know, there's so many issues like that. People in Alaska have to be for oil drilling or, you know, representatives from Pennsylvania have to come out for fracking. You know, these are these are things that party leaders always understood is that politics is local in this country. And sometimes you have to let people vote their conscience. But that is not allowed in Donald Trump's Republican Party. Yeah. You are not allowed to stray off the reservation on any issue. You have to follow and do what Trump wants or you're out. And, and this is what we're seeing time and time again. And it's very unhealthy. It, it, the, it puts these Republicans in a box sometimes where they really have to choose between screwing over their own constituents by obeying Donald Trump or crossing Donald Trump to do what's best for their district. And time after time, they continue to choose Donald Trump over their own constituents. This, this is authoritarianism, Ron. You know, yeah. we can dress it up in, in, in any which way, but this is the stuff of, of Vladimir Putin. This is the kind of stuff that shouldn't be happening in the United States. And, and yet 
this is what we can look forward to. You know, if he got the keys to the White House, this process that he uses will apply to everything in every department with every government worker. And it, 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 the US will turn on a dime, literally, into a, a, a dictatorship. And yeah. I still don't feel people taking it as seriously as the rest of us. Yeah, I mean, he, he viewed the government as him, when he was president as his government. You know, those right. are my tanks. Those are my generals. Those are, you know, this is my White House. In other words, he's, he's not just he didn't most most presidents view most presidents view the presidency as like they're a temporary occupant and they are there to, you know, continue on this unbroken line and they're going to they're a caretaker for the office. Trump does not view it that way. You know, he views it as when he is president, the United States government becomes his property for him to control and do as he pleases. And as we know, in term one, there were a lot of people who stood up to him inside his administration, like General Kelly and others, who who reined him in. Mark Esper, we can go on and on, who reined him in, even Bill Barr, and and, yeah. and stopped some of his worst abuses although there were still plenty, okay? And they still went along with a lot of stuff they shouldn't have. It could have been worse. And it will be worse, as we know, because a second term, those people will not be there. Let's take a look at a clip of Steve Ducey, who was kind of responding to this, uh, to, to, to this bill. Let's take a look. And I know a lot of Republicans are against it because Donald Trump is against it. But here's, here's the problem for you guys. Uh, the Border Patrol Union came out and the acting CBP chief both came out and said they're not, it's not perfect. But this is the best thing we've seen in decades. So are Republicans going to say that the Border Patrol Union and the acting CBP chief are wrong? Well, look, they can have their perspective, Steve. Uh, and we've it's got a their lot of respect. jobs, Tom. We've, well, and it's our job to uh, actually make sure the laws will accomplish what we're seeking to do. You is it fair to say, because you and I have argued this case before, that there actually isn't a border crisis that is being described by Republicans and by Fox and various channels. Because there's been other coverage recently by people who have actually gone down to various border checkpoints where there is no drama. And they've gone, and, and we have pointed out previously on this show that Biden has arrested and deported more people in his term than Trump ever did. So is it not just a case that the bill has failed, but actually that the crisis is overblown? No, I don't, I don't think so. Again, because I don't, I wouldn't necessarily, I don't know. The word crisis is, can mean a lot of things to a well, lot of people. Well, that's the word that the, the Republicans know, are using it, right? That's how, they, how that they're word. branding it. But I, I, from what I've been reading in the last few days, there isn't a crisis. Everything is working really rather well. But they well, need to give the impression there's a crisis in order to a, strike down this bill as they have and claim that they can fix it if Trump is elected. I mean, it de it depends on what you mean by working. I, I, mean, I talked to some yeah. senior people in the White House last night, okay, about the, who, who are in charge of border policy, okay? They recognize that there are serious systemic problems. Now, they're not saying that they caused these problems, but they are saying that there are long-term problems 
with the asylum system, with how people are processed, with how the cases are adjudicated, with where people are detained. And also when we talk about, and I asked them, you know, why is it, why is it worse now? Clearly the numbers are worse. Why, why is that? And, and, and their, their, their argument to me, and it does make a lot of sense is that if you look around the world, there's far more global migration over the last three years than there was before because of largely because of the pandemic, because of wars, there is a lot of turmoil right now and people are moving around and we see this in Europe. We see this all over the, all over the globe. And, and so they've had to deal with that with an imperfect set of tools. And, and I, I listened to these border patrol guys, these, the, the heads of the border patrol unions uh, the last week who, who have come out in support of the bill. And, and I've listened to their reasons why, and it's clear that there's a problem. There are. It is not something that's running smoothly. It hasn't run smoothly in decades. It didn't run smoothly under Trump. And we do need to fix some of these systemic problems. And this bill really would have gone a long way in to do that. And that. So so no, I don't agree that like there's no issues. There are plenty of issues. I think this bill would have gone a long way to solving those issues. Uh, but but I think there's systemic issues that have existed for a long time. They didn't start with Biden and they're not going to end with Biden. And undoubtedly, a, a lot of the campaigning is is confusing because Republicans are not completely honest about what's happening. No. And at the same time, Democrats are not very good at communicating what they are doing. So, so then sometimes there is a shortfall in information. Um, I have this interesting clip. I don't really know much about it. So I need you to tell me this is about this woman who is on the truckers convoy who got you know, super upset about uh, who the group was that was truly representing at, at this, at this um, protest. Can you explain a little bit before I play it? It's, I just pre-warn you, it is quite a harrowing clip, and she is very distressed. Yeah, so rewind this. Um, you know, this trucker convoy stuff, uh, well, of course, it started a few years ago, but I won't go back in the whole history of, of the, the one that they did in D.C., which is a lot of these same people. But really yeah. what started all was the, the Abbott, you know, decision to defy the Supreme Court and, and, and yeah. to say we're not removing the razor wire. So then, you know, this call to arms went out, <laughs> all these militia groups and stuff that there's going to be this civil war and, you know, we're going to defy we're going to fight the federal government and all of that, which which, of course, never, never happened. There was no confrontation between the feds and, and, and Abbott's people. Um, but you know, that's, that's what they believe. So, so part of this was the, this trucker group was going to assemble the, in theory, you know, thousands of truckers were going to go down to the border and they were going to help, you know, the border patrol and the Texas, uh, people fight off this, this massive horde of migrants that is supposedly streaming across the border. That's what it was supposed to be. In theory, you know, this is a handful of nutcases. A lot of these QAnon people, the same people I see at all these events, January, a lot of this January 6th people were there. You know, it's the same crew. And, you know, they show up. And and I, I think the clip that you're about to show is about halfway through this thing because they kept moving the goalposts. First, they were going to go to the border. Then the guy announced who was organizing it. We're not going to the border. We're going to a ranch near the border, you know, and we're going to pray. And, and and it just turned into this griftathon where the organizers of it received 
lots of money and donations from around the country. People were sending them money for this excursion, thinking that they were going to go stop migrants when wh where did all the money go? We don't know, because really they just had like a little a little camp out where Ted Nugent came down and and gave a 13 minute concert. Sarah Palin showed up and gave a speech and and the, and it was a lot of people getting baptized and praying. And and this woman here about halfway through is is basically just saying she just realized that this is all a scam and this is not what they what they were sold. And she's just unloaded on on the organizers of this event. OK, here she is to the Christians. Do not be deceived. Stop thinking that everybody who waves a flag and shouts freedom is your friend and a good person because we have people like this trying to join up in the movements. I found this out the hard way. I found it out the hard way. That not everybody is in things for the same reasons you are. I was in the people's convoy and what a fucking disappointment that ended up being. What a disappointment to find out that these people that you were with, they weren't like you. They didn't care about the country. They were a bunch of grifting motherfucking live streamers that wanted to make money off of the people in America who were hardworking and sending their money. Little old ladies, old men, people who had to wait for their paychecks so they could give a little bit of money to help people drive around and shout freedom and fight for freedom. And to find out that it was really for nothing, to find out, to find out that the people involved, a lot of the people involved that are involved in this convoy right here were really bad people. They were bad people who did not care about the causes that they joined. They used them for their own, their, their own um, profit. How sad is that? When there's people who really, really fucking care. There's people who really sacrifice for the causes. They sacrifice for the causes. For real, it's in their hearts. And these kinds of motherfuckers come and attach them. I mean, I said it was a harrowing piece, and I apologize for the, the language. But, you know, she's really feeling it. And I, I feel bad for her because she has been duped like so many mag Republicans who have had to have, you know, given money to the cause and who have joined in. And we've heard this from people who went on January 6th and, and are like, I totally regret going, but they told me that the election was being stolen and I had to come and save my country. I mean, there is a sad story here. Uh, and it's that, you know, some people are not as well read or they're not as well traveled and they don't see the bigger picture and they don't have a sense of perspective and if somebody in authority tells them that there's a there's a cause they go for it i mean i i really i do feel for that woman there are there are so many people in the maga movement just like her you know that go to trump rallies and what they believe is the reality you know is not 
the reality. And, and yeah. she got a glimpse behind the curtain at these organizers of this trucker convoy and saw them for what they are. And, and I, I believe that if they, if they were really ever able to get a glimpse behind the curtain of Donald Trump, you know, That's and right. see what he really, who he really is and what yeah. he really believes, you know, and what he really thinks about them that, uh, that, you know, a lot of them would react the same way. Um, okay. So I'm going to give you a Wi-Fi time to recover because I have another clip. Um, oh, there we go. I'm, I want to show this clip of Sarah Palin uh, and Ted Nugent that she was referring to. Here it is. Okay. Hey, Bikers, are you riding a bike? Well, you're, you're going to be right out up front. I do want to thank you for being in the arena, knowing that now more than ever, it's required of us to stand up and fight for what's right. Because it's unconscionable, it's treasonous what our own federal government is doing to us in actually sanctioning an invasion, a foreign invasion of our country across that border. I know that you guys know that. And I just want to speak on behalf of, well, every state now is a border state. Every state is affected. So for you all to be jumping in the arena, knowing that, like I say, now more than ever, we have to stand tall, we have to stand up and fight for what is right. Every violation of our charters of liberty that's going on right now, Article 1, Article uh, four different clauses in our charters of liberty that our federal government is sanctioning to allow this invasion. Like I say, if that's not treason, I don't know what treason is. It's very, I mean, I don't know why Sarah Palin is back in the picture, even momentarily, to be honest, but there is a there is a theme with the MAGA Republicans or the former Tea Party or whoever you choose to call them. And that is they're like, we've got to fight. We've got to fight. We've got to get our country back. We've got to fight for our freedom. But they never say anything after that. Like, I don't know what any of that means. And I've been doing, on the weekend show, Just Gone, I had a, you know, Ali Samarco came on, who's also Midas Touch contributor and former MAGA Republican. And we kind of, between us, came to the conclusion that it really is just down to racism. It's like, you've got to fight. You've got to get our country back. It means get rid of all the brown people and the black people and all of this wokeness and all of the new stuff, and let's go back to being in charge, the white people. Is that really what this is all about, this whole movement? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and again, you know, apologize for the technical difficulties that we're having. <laughs> Anthony, Anthony okay. got kicked out of his studio because of the gas leak, and, and I'm having some <laughs> issues too, but we'll, we'll make sure that this is fixed next week. Um, yeah. But yes, look, if this were if these were white people coming across the border from Germany, <laughs> you know, or Ukraine, right. uh, it wouldn't produce the same reaction at all. And, you know, you see this all the time in their social media posts where they'll say, if you import the third world, you become the third world. That that's yeah. a 
a very popular sort of slogan that you hear from Musk and, and others, you know, which is, yeah, clearly they don't want people from, you know, certain parts of the world here. And it's also why, you know, if you follow right wing media like Fox or or Newsmax or, or other things, you know, it's a constant steady stream of black people or brown people committing crime. You know, it's 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 it, and and if you watched only Fox News, you you would believe that only black people committed crime in America, you know, because that's all you see. So there there's definitely a racial component involved here for sure. It's so weird though that it's like the elephant in the room. And I, I just wish that more people would be exposing it and talking about it because you know it's it's obviously the the theme, you know, make America white again. And 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 yet people do kind of dance around the subject. Um, listen, we have a lot more to talk about. I want to talk about Rona McDaniel stepping down and potentially Mike Lindell volunteering to uh, chair the, the RNC um, and uh, a whole lot more. We first have a small pause for our sponsor and we'll be back here on Uncovered. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Are your teeth aging you? Food and drink are known to stain teeth. Coffee, wine, they stain over time. So what can you do to brighten your smile? Well, you should give Smile Actives a try. Smile Actives is safe, effective, easy to use, and will keep you smiling proudly. I personally have been to a dentist and had a teeth whitening treatment. It was painful. It was uncomfortable and it was not a experience that I would want to repeat well simply add smile actives pro whitening gel to your regular toothpaste do it at home it's been formulated with polyclean technology to boost stain removal and deliver active whitening ingredients into teeth's grooves to get better whitening People will start commenting on your whiter, brighter smile in just days. Smile Actives is the whitening boost your favorite toothpaste needs to give you the smile you deserve. Visit smileactives.com uncovered today to receive a special buy one, get one free offer with auto delivery plus free shipping and handling. That's smileactives.com uncovered. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We're back. It's uncovered on Wednesdays as usual. Slightly different setup today, only because I got booted out of my place because of a gas leak. And so we thought we'd gas here. I must thank my friend Eric, who's let me use his apartment down the street. <laughs> so uh, we've been we've been saved. I had to bring the cat with me and everything. The cat's asleep right next to me, Ron. And uh, I know you have cat issues as well. So I wasn't going right. to leave the animals behind after after. You know, a, a major event. Um, okay, let's talk about uh, Mike Lindell because I'll just play this clip. It's very funny. Firstly, well, actually, before I play the clip, tell me about Rona McDaniel because the pressure yeah. on her to step down is obviously something that people have been talking about. Been a bit of a pressure campaign for a while, actually. So why now? When's it happening? You know, I I think that well, you know, she's she says it's not going to happen until after the South Carolina primary, which is in two weeks, um, and you know, I believe that I believe that that's sort of what she negotiated. But this is a long time coming. You know, Rana has been the scapegoat for Donald Trump's incompetence, and you know, I think that she's been a convenient scapegoat for him. I, I think. Look, he could have gotten rid of her anytime he wanted over the last seven years. He could have snapped his fingers and she's gone. 
But the reason why she's stayed as long as she has is because he likes her there, but he can't admit that to his own followers. So it's this weird dynamic where like she does everything he wants. And, and most importantly, that means money. You know, she she allows him to siphon off most of the money that a lot of the money that would be going to the RNC goes to him. And, and she does well, a lot of pay legal fees. That's another thing that the money she paid to, all his right? legal bills until she couldn't, when he declared for president, she wasn't allowed to do that anymore, but she, the RNC was paying all his legal bills up until the point he declared for president. And so, yes, she, she has bent over backwards. And I think that she was also very useful to him because Every loss, you know, Herschel Walker loses the Senate race, Masters loses the Senate race in Arizona. Everybody blames Rana, you know, no, nobody blames Trump, even though he's the one responsible. And uh, and so it was also convenient for him to have her there as sort of the lightning rod where all the fire went her way. Yeah. Um, and so I think that she hung on as long as she could, but I, I think it just got so bad with the new campaign finance reports that came out. This is what really was sort of the final nail in the coffin. Um, the midterm results, which were a debacle, was blamed on her. I don't believe it was her fault. I'm not trying to defend her, but she she gets a lot of blame for stuff that's not her fault. And um, and and you know she was almost ousted after the midterms by Harmeet Dillon, who was like a pro-Trump person who stepped forward uh, to run against her. And Mike Lindell ran against her as well. And, uh, you know, Ronna won quite handily uh, because Trump did not um, undercut her. He he did not say if he said vote for Harmy Dillon, Ronna would have been gone in 2022. But he didn't. And so she she kept her job. But but now what has happened is the campaign finance reports just came out and the RNC's broke. They have no money. Uh, they spent all their money on legal bills and and a lot of frivolous spending, and they haven't been taking in very much. Why? Because all the money is going to Trump, and they didn't take in that much from the from debates as well. That's that's always a big fundraiser for them. But Trump killed them on the debates, undercut them again on their ability to make money off the debates. So, so yeah, I mean it. it um, it really, a lot of this stuff is not her fault, but she's taken the blame and now she's out. I mean, uh, she's sort of trying to deny it a little bit. Like, no, nothing's been decided. It clearly has been decided that Trump can't leak this stuff to the New York press, New York times that she's gone. So they're not going to do that unless she is, she's agreed to be gone. But I think she's trying to make a graceful exit and, you know, graceful exits just don't happen very often in the Republican party these days. <laughs> And and it would be remiss of us not to say that she is actually a terrible person. I mean, that's what I've got. I don't know, I've never met her, but every interview that she's ever given, she's just lying about stuff. She lies. She's, she's, yes. And it's 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 awful. It's like you are a terrible person. You do not deserve this job, whether it be with the GOP or the RNC or with anybody. You know, it's like just move on. Unfortunately, yeah, she'll probably but, be replaced by another liar, though, won't she? Yeah, my take is yeah, she's 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 a terrible person. She lies like crazy. She's very full of herself. All I'm saying is like a lot of the election losses she got blamed for were more Trump's fault than her. That's all I'm saying. But but yes, she's in, she's very incompetent at her, at her job. I mean, I I've said repeatedly on Twitter like I hope she stays in that position as long as possible because she's terrible. <laughs> but 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 I predict though that Trump is going to bring in somebody much worse than her. You know? Well, talking of which, let's see uh, Mike Lindell's offer when he goes on Steve Bannon's podcast. Occupied. Would you 
step forward? Would you volunteer to take over the RNC if the president so asked you? A hundred percent, I would. Uh, then I would have all the tools I need to fix, secure these elections and Im immediately. Uh, we've already got everything in place. We just need resources and, and the, their blessing behind us. Absolutely. Mike Lind <laughs> I mean, my pillow has gone bankrupt, right? He sold off all the sewing machines. So he is kind of looking for something to do, right? Yeah, I know, you know, of course, this isn't going to happen. This is a pipe dream. And and Bannon, you know, has him on every single day uh, because Bannon, you know, Mike Lindell is his big, biggest sponsor and Bannon makes a little bit of money off Lindell. So so that's why he entertains this stuff. But and uh, look, there are plenty of activists who would love to see it, but it's just never going to happen. Uh, yeah. The New York Times reported that the North Carolina state party chair is the guy that Trump wants. He's a big election denier, big Trump sycophant, um, all very far right. Uh, I don't I don't know what how what kind of a fundraiser he is or strategist he is because those are the main parts of the job. Uh, but uh, we'll see. But clearly, I, what I think Trump, Trump Trump's test is not competence. We know that. We know he doesn't look for the the best person for the job or the most competent person. He looks for the person who's going to be most loyal to him and is going to let him rip off. They're the donors, the party donors, and no one is going to be put in that position that isn't all in on, you know, letting Trump do whatever he yeah. wants. Um, another of Trump's allies is Tucker Carlson, who out of the blue has just announced that he's in Russia and he's interviewing President Vladimir Putin and he's complaining that no uh, American journalist has dared do this and yet he's the one to do it. I mean, this is pretty scary stuff, isn't it? For, for lots of reasons. Let me sh show the what you posted. Um, this was a, you know, here's the claim. Uh, it says Peskov was also asked to comment on uh, Carlson's claim that not a single Western journalist has bothered to interview Putin since Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine. The press secretary said that, on the contrary, the Kremlin has received numerous interview requests, but they were all from Western media outlets that take a one-sided stance. I mean, what we're hearing here is the fact that they know that Tucker Carlson is a friend and not a foe, and that he is ultimately going to give Putin a, a, an easy ride and present him a very favorable light. I mean, that is terrifying. Yeah, I mean, it's it, you know it's bad when Vladimir Putin's press secretary, Peskov, is saying, yeah. like, no, that's not true. I mean, you know, when they're checking you on your lies... Uh, and they're professional liars, uh, it's pretty bad. So, yeah, Tucker Tucker put out his little propaganda video where he was – because because what was happening was, you know, everybody got word that he was over there, and we know that he's been trying to interview Putin for a long time. And his story, what he claims, is that when he was exchanging text messages back and forth between the Kremlin and himself, that the NSA tapped those communications and that he supposedly had a friend in the NSA that tipped him off that the government was monitoring this. Now, again, the Biden administration has been asked about this. They deny Tucker's claims that anybody was monitoring his text messages. What I believe was really happening was Fox was saying, hell no, 
You know, we're all, we already get a bunch of abuse and criticism that you're a Russian agent and that you're Putin's stooge on our network. We are not going to yeah. have you go over and interview this guy. So I think it was Fox that blocked it more than anything. But now, of course, he's liberated from Fox, so he's able to do what he wants. And so he goes over there. So there was this huge backlash, you know, of Western media saying this, you know, American Russian propagandist is going over to 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 interview Putin and it's going to be blown up by Elon Musk, of course. And, and so there, you know, Tucker put out a video in response to that where he said, look, you know, I'm only going over here because I'm a responsible journalist and no other Western journalists are willing to interview him. So I'm doing it, doing their job for them. And then the Kremlin came out and said, no, that's not true. You know, what are you talking about, dude? They're like, you know, look, you, you just need to own this and man up and, and don't try and blame that. You know, th what they said is, and they made it even worse for Tucker because they said, we get requests from Western journalists every single day and we have turned them all down because we don't feel like they're friendly to us, but we're allowing Tucker as the first one since the invasion because we think he's going to be fair to yeah. us. I mean, there are two points here. Firstly, Tucker Carlson is not a journalist, okay? No. And it, it, we must be absolutely clear at that. He may have been once upon a time, but he is not a journalist anymore. He, he is a propagandist and an entertainer, and he has caused a lot of, a lot of trouble over the last two decades on, on, on television, radicalizing people and, and segregating people. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that there is plenty of evidence to say that he is a, a Russian asset, whether he knows it or not. But just the stuff that he covered on his show when he was on Fox and the stuff that he's done since now that he's on Twitter or wherever else, all of it is stuff that would have Putin rubbing his hands together. So whether it's actually come as diktat from Vladimir Putin or the Kremlin, or whether it's just Tucker Carlson being being a, a an enemy of of the state, then who knows? But let's not treat him as a, as a, an American journalist who's you know head and shoulders above anybody else. He is really a bottom feeder. Yeah, a few things I want to say about what you just said. So every major piece of Russian propaganda that is put out by the Kremlin about this war is parroted by Tucker Carlson. We could go all the way back from, you know, that Putin was just going in there because the U.S. has these bioweapons labs in Ukraine. Yeah. That was a fiction. He he repeated that mantra that. Zelensky is siphoning off billions of dollars in aid money and has mansions and yachts all over the world. That was also pushed by Tucker. Just one lie that, that you know, he's suppressing Christianity and closing churches and and persecuting the press, talking about Zelensky. And, and also the fact that all the people in, the, in Donbass and the eastern provinces of Ukraine were all Russians anyway, and they all wanted to be part of the Soviet, uh, part of Russia, and they were just being liberated. At, at every turn, every piece of Kremlin propaganda about this war is parroted by Tucker Carlson. So that that's one, that's one part of this as well. So this, this is clearly an effort to, they know it is a critical time where the West is growing weary of this war, of the financial commitment to this war, 
A lot of governments are struggling to keep their people behind supporting the war. And that's why this interview is happening, because this is designed to undermine public support, not just in the U.S., but in the West for Ukraine and at a critical time. That's why this interview is being conducted. And the other thing I'll say is this. Let's watch and see what questions he asks of Vladimir Putin. Will he ask him, why did you poison Navalny and then send him to Siberia, to the Arctic Circle, under solitary confinement, your opposition leader? Why have you jailed and killed your own journalists who have criticized you? You know, he could go through a whole lot. Why did you kidnap Ukrainian children? He, he, he went through any of those things. Why are you liberating murderers from your prisons and, and letting them go on the front lines? Uh, you know, yeah. there's question after question that could be asked by a legitimate journalist. Right. Let's see if he asks any of those questions. I mean, th th that's the saddest part of this story is how Russia has, uh, you know, Americans' view of Russia has pivoted because of, of Tucker Carlson and other far-right hosts on, on far-right networks. I mean, you know, do, does nobody remember the history? Does no one remember the Cold War? Does nobody understand, you know, where we have come? and how really the only true relationship that we have with the Russians is in the International Space Station, for goodness sake. And, and meanwhile, on land, it, it's not as cozy as that. And, you know, it, it's a real pivot for the fact that there are Congress people now who would rather support Vladimir Putin than Volodymyr Zelensky. And as we know, Trump's plan which he says he can do in 24 hours, is to give land to, to Putin, to, to, to segregate Ukrainian land, sovereign land, and give it to Putin. That's his plan. It's terrifying that we are at a point now where there are a good number of Americans. I don't know how many. I don't know what percentage of Republicans. I'm sure very few, if not any Democrats would, would have a favorable view of Vladimir Putin. But the fact that they see Zelensky as the enemy and Putin as the goody, that is, a, that is quite a shift for, for the American people. And I think, you know, for Gen Xers and baby boomers who grew up in the height of the Cold War, and, you know, we went through that whole era of Soviet domination of Eastern Europe and, you know, intervention around the globe and all of that. You know, and, and what we saw is there was a brief period in the 90s where, you know, it looked like Russia was going to become a normal, democratic, free country. Yeah. And then it reverted back because of Vladimir Putin. It's basically right. reverted back to a Soviet style state because yeah. of Putin. Um, and uh, who was always in the background. He was I mean, he remember, was Putin there, was. Yeah. Was yep. like a was a, was the sidekick to Boris Yeltsin. Right. Boris Yeltsin followed Mikhail Gorbachev. Gorbachev, of course, forged a great relationship with the U.S. and with Britain, and and Yeltsin followed the course. But then things changed. Putin had put himself in there, right in the center of the action. He's a former KGB spy. He is effectively a trained killer. This guy had a completely different plan for, for he wanted the former Soviet Union to be the Soviet Union again. And the thing that's most distressing to me, you know, as someone who was a lifelong Republican active in the party and all of that, yeah. you know, grew up under in the Reagan era 
is to watch my party, you know, the rank and file members and members of Congress who are suddenly taking the side of Vladimir Putin and the Russians against our own government, you know, and and our allies in Europe as well. Uh, And, and, you know, our government is weak. The Western governments are weak. France, UK, UK, Germany, they're all weak. They're all stooges. They're all suckers. And Vlad is the guy that we need to, we need to align ourselves with. If you'd have told me that, you know, 10 years ago that, you know, at least half of the Republican party would think that I would have said, you're, that's not possible. But that is where we are at. And and look, it all comes down to Donald Trump. It it wouldn't happen without Trump. If Trump ever came out and said, no, 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 you know, Putin is a terrible guy. This guy is not our friend. I think a lot of this would go away. But of course, he, he does the opposite. Well, let's not forget what happened in Helsinki, where they're in a press yeah. conference together, having spent a private moment or two or hour in a, in a room with just a translator. They come out. Somebody asked Trump the question. Did you ask Mr. Putin if he interfered in the election? He turned. Did you? No. No. He said, no. Who am I supposed to believe? The My security services or the guy standing next to me? It was beggar's belief. And, and that is... And he doubled down on that again recently, you know, when he's been pushed on, on that very same question. He doubled down. Trump is an asset. Tucker Carlson is an asset. You could argue Elon Musk is an asset. This is the long game that Russia plays. And, yeah. and you know, they are very happy with how the U.S. is turning in on itself, you know, in, in and, and I think, effectively. You know, we do focus a lot on Trump and the politicians, but you cannot underemphasize the paradigm shift that has occurred with Elon Musk, you know, becoming right. a dominant figure in social media platforms yeah. and in other areas as well. Because you're right. I mean, if I know a lot of people have him blocked and they don't they don't follow what he says. I do. I read it every day, everything he posts, and it it is much worse than it was a year ago much worse than two years ago. I mean, his account is a cesspool of right-wing conspiracies and Russian propaganda. And mm-hmm. and he is hyping this Tucker-Putin interview, and he is going to blow it up to his 140 million followers or whatever he has now. And, um, you know, that is a huge, huge impact on world opinion, not just in the U.S., yeah. but around the world. Yeah. And And I don't know what the solution to that is, you know, we can vote out politicians, but how do we vote out Elon Musk, you know? And all of this is contributing to Trump winning the election in November. This is, you know, this is the knock-on effect of oh, this, yeah. is that these are all Trump people at work. Tucker Carlson is a Trump person at work. Elon Musk is a Trump person at work. No Labels is a Trump organization at work. They are all doing their bit you know, to, to position Donald Trump as the solution to all of our problems. And, and also and, convincing Republicans that befriending the enemy, whether it be Kim Jong or or Putin or Orban or whoever, that, that, that befriending dictators is the way that you know, America has the upper hand. It's so let, dumb. Let me just tell you this, because I, I follow, you know, his account closely and read what he yeah. says. There, there. I mean, we know that he wanted DeSantis early on. He was promoting DeSantis, right? And then that fell apart. And then he he was flirting with Vivek Ramaswamy, right? And he thought he was hyping him, saying he thought Vivek had a chance. Okay, now that's gone by the wayside. 
I have, I will make a prediction right now. He is going to endorse Donald Trump very soon. I, I expect in the next month or two, Elon Musk is going to publicly endorse Trump and push the Trump candidacy as the owner of the Twitter platform that has the algorithms cranked up and rigged to amplify everything that he does uh, and to put it in front of everybody's face and eyeballs. And uh, I don't know what impact that that is going to have, you know, but but it's it's going to have it's going to have some impact. Yeah, let, let's not underestimate how dirty this election is going to get. And the you know the 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 supporters, whether it be the the Cokes or the Musks, they have unlimited resources, and and even though Democrats are are out fundraising Republicans, there are some huge donors behind the Republican Party, and and that's what scares me. You know, is that is the a combination of the the gerrymandering and you know all of the electoral college fraud that goes on. That is skewed towards the Republicans, combined with this huge media campaign and Trump's big mouth, it, it, it's it's a recipe for you know a dictatorship disaster, well, just, and we have to be very thoughtful about that. Look at it this way: when you talk about the money, so I mean, let's just say that Trump starts tweeting out. I mean, uh, Musk starts tweeting out Trump campaign videos and Trump yeah. campaign clips, which he hasn't done yet. But let's say he starts doing yeah. that. And then and then he starts tweeting out a lot of the anti-Biden stuff and a lot of the fake doctored videos and stuff to 150 million people every single day, day after day. How much is that worth? How much do Democrats have to spend in millions of dollars worth of ads to counter that? Just to counter yes. what he's able to do for free. For free. That's the point, isn't it? That the, there yeah. is an unlimited budget because he owns the platform. And it goes back to the point that we have made time and time again, that you don't spend $44 billion on a on a platform exactly. that isn't worth a quarter of that unless you have a long-term plan. And Exactly, and so, Anthony. Know, yes. Yeah. Yeah. He did uh, not okay. buy it to make a profit. He bought it for, for right now what he's doing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. As a, as a propaganda platform because Twitter, until that point, was the central town square for all political discourse. There wasn't really anywhere else <laughs> anywhere else to go. Um, I want to talk about this uh, former uh, Trump-endorsed candidate, uh, Governor uh, Tudor Dixon, who has trashed Charlie Kirk in a, in a video. It's a very interesting video, this. Just set it up for us. We don't have long left, so we'll power through if we can. Yeah, in fact, this is funny because after I posted this, her uh, her spokesperson, her her person, her, her producer <laughs> reached out to me and DM me and thanked me, which is kind of funny because I haven't been Tudor Dixon's friend over the years. Uh, she ran for governor of Michigan, and uh, she had the I I posted the one super viral quote that really got her in trouble. She gave an interview to a local station was when she, she was she was asked about a, a like a, a twelve year old rape victim getting an abortion yeah. and yeah. she made the comment line. yeah but she made the comment that it, it it actually benefits the rape victim to have the child because having that baby will help heal the wounds of the rape <laughs> she said that and it was just to a little local reporter but i i was following her because i like gretchen whitmer and she was running against gretchen whitmer for governor and I posted that clip and it just went hugely viral and she got asked about it a million times. So it was a little surprising 
for me that you know her people reached out to me recently and said yeah. hey let us know if you want anything more to promote of ours because I'm certainly no Tudor Dixon friend, but but in this particular case, look, she was great. I mean, she's calling out Charlie Kirk along with a lot of other people. Um, a lot of black Republicans are calling out Charlie Kirk these days. And um, and it was a little surprising for me to see Tudor Dixon do that. And, you know, a lot of the black Republicans have have fallen away from Charlie Kirk because they correctly perceive him as racist against black people. But Tudor took a different a different angle. And her angle was how terrible he is with with women and, and how he tells these women, you know, to get married young, have lots of kids, be stay at home moms, don't go to college. And, you know, she she was uh, a very successful woman. She was also uh, very famous in like softcore porn movies and stuff that she did way back when uh, she's left that life behind. But, um, you know, I think that she really took offense to that. And, and what she says here is 100 percent correct. You know, that Kirk's message to to most young women is repulsive. They want nothing to do with it. Yeah. And what yeah. she's making the case that, like, he's hurting us with this stuff. Yeah. He, he, he's basically saying, find yourself, to, to, to the young women, find yourself a, a, a nice Christian man who's got a good job, mar marry him, stay home, have lots of kids, go to church. The subservience, basically, is, exactly. is what this boils down to. Okay, let's let's take a look at her. Here she is. Talk about this as as though you know this is one person, but this is a massive organization. I mean, he's talking about a hundred and eight million dollars that he's putting into Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin, and he's putting out all of these supposed activists that he's created are going to be deployed in these areas, and he is he is billing himself as. Donald Trump's right-hand man when it comes to young people. And this, to me, is catastrophic for us. It is catastrophic for us because if people are seeing this, which really has been the way it's been for a very long time. I mean, I was at a Turning Point event, I would say, probably three or four years ago, and they had the stage flanked with these bar life-size Barbie boxes, which I think is ironic now because, you know, now he's all trashing Barbie. Had told the women, the girls, it was a summit for teenage and, and tw young 20s girls, told them all to wear pink and come in and take pictures in these Barbie boxes. The message over and over again at this conference from person after person who was on the stage was if you are a young woman, which it was the women's summit, there were a few young guys there, marry young, find a conservative Christian, make sure you marry him young have kids, homeschool, and do not have a career. That is not my story. That is not the story of young women today who are out there voting. This is, to me, the best way to drive people away from the Republican Party. And, and the reality is that a lot of Republicans, certainly you know, those mega Christian conservatives, do feel that way. And we've heard that from the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and, and so forth. So is this the case that younger people who maybe are not yet married, who do have access to social media, who are not maybe in that kind of algorithm bubble of, of, of this kind of Christian nationalist narrative, that they actually might be looking outside of their, of their information silo for inspiration? I think Tudor is, yeah, I think Tudor is absolutely right. And, and that is happening, uh, what you just said. You know, I think that uh, the reason why Charlie Kirk 
has been so unsuccessful in luring uh, these Gen Z voters to the Republican side of things is because of this, because of the messaging that he's putting out. It is, I think that a lot of people are, look, you know, I was a young Republican on college campuses and belonged to the clubs. We didn't have this message preached to us. It was all about, you know, low taxes and low regulations and defeat the Soviets. And, you know, it wasn't anything like this, you know, and this is just a weird message. And so I think that what happens is a lot of these college kids maybe are willing to hear him out and listen to what he has to say. And when he goes around to these campuses and makes his presentation, I think some of them are willing to listen, but I think a lot of them hear what he has to say and they never come back. They're, they're just yeah. repulsed by it. And so she's absolutely right. He, he is probably their number one problem with, uh, with attra- attracting young voters, especially women and minorities, because they, they correctly see him as o- of overtly hostile to them. And, uh, and so, yeah, but, but you know what? Who his biggest enemy is in the hierarchy of the Republican Party was Ronna McDaniel. Ronna McDaniel couldn't stand Charlie Kirk and vice versa. So he's celebrating Ronna leaving because probably what that's going to mean is that Charlie Kirk's position inside the the Republican Party is actually going to be strengthened. Interesting. Okay, we have to finish. One more quick thing. Uh, do you remember when Biden went and basically went onto the picket line with auto workers, and it was amazing, and it was historic, really, for a president? Well, Donald Trump claimed to do the same thing, but it turns out that actually what he did was pay $20,000 to stage a fake rally of striking union auto workers. This is back in September with non-union workers holding up union members for Trump signs. This is the story that you've written about and posted about on MidasTouch.com. I encourage people to kind of go take a look at it because it's, it's very interesting. But if that is not proof, Ron, of who Donald Trump is, that he cares nothing for the facts or for the substance or for the, for the public service, it's all about the photo op. At Midas, you know, we have been all over this story from day one, going way back to when this first happened. I think it was in September, because uh, we are very pro-union at Midas, all of us. And um, when, the, you know, and I have also talked about how Trump stages these events and how his advanced men are out there and they have all these people. We've talked about him doing it at football games, yeah. diners, pizzas, all this stuff. And so when he did this event, it didn't smell right. We, we, we uncovered that, you know, this wasn't a union shop, uh, that it was an, a non-union auto parts plant, that this rally was being done after working hours when all of the workers at that plant, most of them had gone home. They didn't stick around for Trump. And so yeah. it was and, and plus it was the timing of it. You know, this was being done to counter Biden going to Michigan on the picket line. So and then and then we see these people holding up these union signs. And, and some of the reporters who were there talked about the fact that they try, they talked to some of these people and they couldn't find a single union person in the crowd. So it was always very suspicious and very shady. And then what happens is the campaign finance reports come out a week ago. And we learn that this was all bought and paid for. This was all a fake production that they paid 20. They paid. I don't know if they paid these people or what they, they bought them pizza, you know, um, 20,000 bucks was spent on something. 
Okay. It, it, it was, it wasn't, uh, they, they claimed it was venue rental. No, they didn't rent the venue for 20 grand. They gave them the venue. Yeah. This money went into people's pockets. And, and, and I believe that this is happening in many more of Trump events than just this one, you know, that, that these yeah. are being this is who Trump is, right? It's it's yeah. He is a he is a performer. It is a production. Anything to make him look good. And what I find interesting is he doesn't really even have the intelligence to realize that people will be go looking for the receipts, and that you know he leaves a trail of evidence behind him, and you know he will learn that to his detriment in the in the in the election case and all the various uh, legal cases that he has coming up this year. Okay, we have to finish. But Ron, thank you um, again. Thank to Eric for lending me his apartment because I got gassed out of mine. Um, business as usual next Wednesday. Don't forget you can download the podcast, the audio version tonight. And when we finish, you can just press rewind and watch the show all over again. Ron Philipkowski, thank you. We'll see you next Wednesday. Okay, sounds good.